Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Lieutenant Commander Worf is the character who has had more appearances than anybody else in Star Trek. So, what is it that we really know about him? With that in mind, I'm Sean Ferry for Trek Culture, and here are 10 things you never knew about Worf. Number 10. He has nieces. So, if you think of Worf's family, you think straight away of Alexander, his son, and maybe you think of Kern, his brother. Put a pin in that, we're coming back to Kern. Now, there's his adopted family as well. There's the Roshenkos, there's Sergei and Helena, and of course, Nikolai, his brother. Then there's, of course, Moog, who's deceased. There's his mother, whose name we didn't know. Da, 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 da. Okay, there's lots, there's lots. There's nieces. There are living relatives on Kronos that he never, ever speaks to. When Alexander from the future comes back in the episode Firstborn in the seventh season of Star Trek The Next Generation, he tries to convince himself as a young child to start learning the ways of the warrior. He says to himself that he should come to Kronos to meet the rest of his family, including his cousins. Now, this is where we come back to Kern. Kern is Worf's younger brother. And while we don't go into really much of what happens with Kern's life in The Next Generation, we discover that he has at least two daughters. This is interesting because in Star Trek Deep Space Nine's The Sons of Moog, Kern is given an entirely new identity with his mind wiped, with absolutely no mention as to what happens to his daughters. Did Worf ever check up on his nieces? It's never actually stated on screen. Number nine. He had nightmares about Jadzia's death. In Tears of the Prophets, Jadzia Dax is killed by a possessed Gold Dukat who planned to introduce a power wraith into the Bajoran wormhole, therefore cutting Sisko off from the Prophets. The death of Jadzia Dax had a tremendous effect on Worf, to whom she was married. In between the events of Tears of the Prophets and Image in the Sand, Worf makes a cameo appearance on the Enterprise E as he appears in Star Trek Insurrection. You'll probably remember the scene where Worf oversleeps for his duty shift and wakes up by hitting his head off the top of the bunk. What's not stated in the film is just why he overslept. He was lost in a nightmare about the death of Jadzia Dax. This would only be resolved when he went on this massive mission with Martok to destroy the shipyards in shadows and symbols. It was good as well that they managed to address the fact that no, like he wasn't just going to be fine after this. And then of course we had the storyline where he struggled to accept Esri Dax, but that's a whole other thing. Number eight, he's fought the Kelvins off screen. 
Kelvins were introduced to Star Trek way back in the original series episode by any other name. They were from another galaxy, but had spent so long masquerading as humans that they had begun to lose some of their powers. They were not, however, the only Kelvins to ever encounter Starfleet personnel. We go all the way forward now to season six of Deep Space Nine. Worf is tasked with the terrifying prospect of trying to help Kira Yoshi O'Brien go to sleep. The baby cries non-stop to the point where Worf finally loses his cool and goes, I have succeeded in many things in my career. I have fought Kelvins twice my size. Kelvins are many-headed Hydra-like creatures when they're out of their human form. So that means that Worf is a lot more badass than we all give him credit for. And he's pretty badass in the amount we give him credit for as well. Number seven. He has the record for the most revivals in Star Trek. While Worf has the most on-screen appearances in all of Star Trek, he doesn't have the record for the most times he's died. That goes to Captain Janeway. He does, however, have the record for the most revivals. Where's the disconnect, you might be asking? We're not talking about alternate universes here, and we're not talking about parallel timelines. No, no, in the main continuity that we follow, Worf has died three times and come back to life three times. The first was in Hide and Q. As part of Q's games, Worf is killed by the creatures Q brings. He is revived by Commander Riker, who has been given Q's abilities. So that's, that's number one. The second one, we have Transfigurations. He is knocked from the top of a catwalk while in the shuttle bay in Enterprise D. He dies from his injuries with his neck being broken. He's brought back to life by John Doe, who has started to develop amazing powers. Lastly, in the episode Ethics, he is he has a spine effectively crushed by falling cargo containers. He undergoes a highly experimental procedure that kills him. However, because he's a Klingon, his body is able to bounce back slightly, but he does die and comes back for a third time. Number six, he's not as good of a brother as you'd think. Now, this is not actually a reference to Kern because if anything, he is a pretty good brother to Kern. You know, he tries to kill him by, re by request, by request. He's also a pretty good brother to Nikolai Roshenko. I mean, he helps Nikolai move an entire settlement of people from being destroyed. That's that's pretty good, right? Yeah. So hang on, those are those are his two brothers. Everything's fine. Hold on now. Jeremy Astor. Remember him? Back in Ronald D. Moore's first script for Star Trek, The Bonding, Worf is commanding an away mission that sees Lieutenant Marla Astor killed while away. Now, Marla Astor has a young son, Jeremy. Worf feels honor bound to take Jeremy under his wing to look after him. They end up having a bonding ceremony that brings Jeremy into the house of Moog, never to be heard from again. Jeremy does go to live with his uncle on earth, but Worf never again mentions his new adopted brother. Some of the expanded media does say that Jeremy did get into the house of Martok as well, Although that's odd because if you recall the episode Sons and Daughters, Alexander was only welcomed into the house of Martok after proving himself, kind of, while in service aboard the Rotaran. Number five, he's responsible for the Federation Klingon War. 
Now, okay, maybe this is a bit of a harsh description, but Worf is directly responsible for two massive governmental changes in the Klingon Empire between 2367 and 2375. And in the first of those, he is almost directly responsible for the installation of Gowron as the unchallenged Chancellor of the High Council. Now, that is because he takes sides with Gowron against the House of Duros, which allows Gowron to rise to Chancellor, which then allows Gowron to be in a position to rip up the Kittimer Accords several years later. Now, at that point, Worf manages to offend Gowron so badly that all relations, frankly, deteriorate between the Klingon Empire and Starfleet. Now, there's more to it than that, but were it not for Worf's actions, there is a good chance that this series of events would not have come to pass. Now, Worf does make up for his actions by killing Gowron several years later and installing Martok as the Chancellor of the High Council. You know, effectively guaranteeing a friendship between the Klingons and the Federation again. So yes, Worf's actions may have led to the Federation-Klingon War, but in fairness, he made up for it. Number four, he ordered the USS Enterprise to surrender in yesterday's Enterprise. Now, if you think of yesterday's Enterprise, which is easily one of the best episodes of the next generation, Worf effectively has a very small role in events. He certainly opens the episode in 10 Forward with Guinan, where he's introduced to Prune Juice for the first time. The great, massive moment of Star Trek history. Then, once the Enterprise C comes through that temporal rift, Worf vanishes, only to be replaced with Tasha Yar. That's because in this version of history, Tasha was not killed by Armus. Therefore, she's still the chief of security aboard the Enterprise. But in this version of history, again, the Federation and the Klingon Empire are at war. In the script notes for yesterday's Enterprise, the Klingon voice that we hear coming across the speakers ordering the Enterprise to surrender and prepare to be boarded was, in fact, Worf. Bit of a turnaround, although, in fairness, history did take his job as Chief of Security away from him, so yeah, I'd be a bit pissed off as well. Number three, he was never meant to be a main character. When Encounter at Farpoint was being written, Yes, Worf was very much there on the bridge, but he was not written to be the main character that he went on to be. In fact, if anything, he was the chief bridge officer, sure, but as more of a gopher than anything else. He would obviously take a while to become chief of security, but it was more that he was just kind of always on hand whenever he was needed. Now, as the series went on, Michael Dorn impressed the writers and producers enough that they beefed up Worf's role. And that actually helped once Denise Crosby had said she had had enough with not really getting enough to do, which then freed up her role of Chief of Security that Worf stepped into. In a there but for the grace of situation, imagine the other thing had happened. Imagine Michael Dorn had left. Denise Crosby could have been the one to, you know, have the most appearances in all of Star Trek. Who's to say? Who's to say? But through a happy accident, although not if you're a big massive Tasha Yar fan, and through some fairly steadfast acting from Dorn's part, Worf rose from guy on bridge to strategic operations officer on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Number two, his no-nonsense haircut was hated by the actor. 
If you think to early Worf, so particularly seasons one and two, and you remember he effectively had that kind of bob hairstyle, you know, totally different from any other Klingons that we saw. There was actually a reason for that. That's because this Klingon, as a Starfleet officer, was supposed to be pure, no-nonsense, tight haircut, militaristic. There have been a couple of different versions of Worf going through the scripting process. One where he would actually be a fully-fledged Klingon officer on board the Enterprise, and others then where he was where he became a Starfleet officer. As the show went on, his little bob haircut got a little bit longer, and he had that kind of the kind of swish that came down to about his shoulders. And he had this all the way up until the sixth season episode Face of the Enemy, when he finally got his ponytail. That is because Michael Dorn hated this hairstyle by the end of it. He said it looked like Worf was always just having come back from the salon, which wouldn't it doesn't suit the character at all for that. The fact that he got his ponytail, which then became an iconic part of the look, was described as helping Dorn get more comfortable in the role of warrior. And if you think about it now, it's hard to picture Worf without the ponytail. Yes, of course, the first six seasons of TNG are still very much there in sexy, sexy Blu-ray. But if you think of Worf now, it's always long-haired, swept back into a ponytail. And quite frankly, it looks far better that way. Number one, he quit as ambassador and gave the job to Alexander. The ending of What You Leave Behind sees Worf promoted to Federation Ambassador to Kronos, which is a politician's role as opposed to the soldier that he had been for so long. In the novel A Time for War, A Time for Peace by Keith R. A. DeCandido, it's explained that Worf quickly felt himself getting very uncomfortable with the role of ambassador. He felt it really wasn't for him and so he ended up leaving the job. That actually goes away toward explaining how he was in full Starfleet uniform in Star Trek Nemesis, which takes place after the end of Deep Space Nine. As the novels go on, Worf kind of bounces around from ship to ship, but eventually ends up as the first officer aboard the Enterprise E under Captain Picard. Then, once Captain Picard moves over to the Romulan relief mission, he takes over as captain of the Enterprise E, having proved himself for making up for the incident on Sukara, where he abandoned a mission to go and save Jadzia Dax. So it might have taken him the long way around to get there, and it might have included several different bits of media, but Lieutenant Commander Worf finally did get the captain's chair and was aboard the Enterprise E to boot. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. 